Just a couple of chapters ago, it was the old Count Bezikov, a fictional towering figure in the era of Catherine the Great, who passed away and left his son behind, symbolically passing the torch to a new generation. This chapter deals with Prince Andrei visiting his father, who is from that same era, who has nearly been left alone as representative of a time of great expansion and colonization. Andrei's father, Nikolai Belkonsky, has accumulated a lifetime of military experience, but is now able to sit back and live the quiet life on his vast estate in Smolensk. The elder Belkonsky has earned peace through serving in various conflicts and wars that likely involved Poland and the Ottoman Empire. Catherine the Great is responsible for expanding the Russian Empire. In the West, namely Europe, this had a lot to do with various partitions of Poland that occurred in the last 25 years of the 18th century. These continued partitions explained why a lot of Poles eagerly joined Napoleon's forces to fight against Russia. One of the most important partitions was in August of 1772, whereby the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was essentially dissolved and much of it divided between the Habsburg monarchy of Austria, Catherine the Great's Russia, as well as the Kingdom of Prussia. Poland essentially lost about half its population and a third of its land. In general, it became a subject territory for the better part of 125 years. Some of the area the Habsburg Empire grabbed is in today's western Ukraine. Over the period of Catherine's rule, Russia gained a great population of Ukrainians, Lithuanians, Jewish people, as well as other ethnic groups. Poland lost a great deal of its independence, though through agreements was always trying to grasp to some level of autonomy, and Russia gained control over the areas of Belarus, the Baltic states, as well as a great portion of Ukraine. The fictional character of General Nikolai Belkonsky was very much in the mix of all these historical developments. He symbolizes somebody with an overview of them, and is now looking to Napoleon as some type of new force. He's in a position to compare and contrast this new age and his country's capability with his own age. For some further context, if you go back to the early 18th century, under the rule of Peter the Great, Russia was able to prevail over Sweden and her allies in what was called the Great Northern War, whereby Sweden lost a lot of influence and territory in the Baltic region. I didn't mention much about the Ottomans, but Russia did fight a series of wars with the Ottoman Empire during the latter half of the 18th century and it resulted in Russia gaining a great degree of influence under what is today southern Ukraine and the Crimea. This is the area on the north part of the Black Sea, and if you look at what's on the south of the Black Sea, across from Crimea, that's Turkey. That's the Ottoman Empire. For hundreds of years, Crimea was ruled by the Crimean Khanate, who were allies of the Ottoman Empire and at times something of a vassal state. There was a thriving slave trade in Crimea from the 15th through the 18th centuries. So where to expect that old Nikolai Belkonsky has seen some of this and is very much aware of the historical context in a way which is pretty much forgotten about today. And we get to feel that he sees something transcendent in the Corsican general. 
Now getting back to the action of the chapter, it involves Prince André and his pregnant wife, Lise, arriving to Bald Hills by carriage. They did at a time the old general was having his afternoon nap, and they were met by his old servant, Tichon. As they were approaching, and the horses were clopping along, they could actually hear Maria playing a sonata on the clavichord. Mademoiselle Borion was the first to greet André and Lise. She brought the couple up to where Maria was practicing, and it was a heartwarming reunion between sisters-in-law, even though the two only met each other at André's wedding. Prince André was somewhat aloof as Lise and Maria hugged and cried and then engaged in a lot of conversation where they did a lot of catching up. This included a near accident they were in in the carriage, Lee's forgetting some of her clothes, who married who back in the big cities, a suitor for Maria that Lee's would tell her more about, and the latest parties. Amidst this, Princess Maria was overjoyed to see her only brother, and with her large, beautiful eyes rested the fondest of gazes upon him. André quickly confirmed to his sister that in fact he was going to be off to the war tomorrow, so his stay would only be passing. This caused a lot of grief to both Maria and his wife Lise, who was feeling like she was going to be abandoned. The servant eventually took André to his father, who was getting dressed, and that can be quite an ordeal for older aristocratic men. The elder Belkonski's first words, upon seeing his son, Ah, here's the warrior. Out to conquer Bonaparte, are you? Nikolai was in good humor, possibly because he had his nap. André then approached his father and kissed him, trying to ignore the question. He asks of his father's health. His father responds that it's quite well and directs him back to talking about this new science of war. He insists his son take a seat and tell him about the latest strategies being proposed against Napoleon. The old general is even being kept in the information loop, likely by those he has mentored and who have risen in society, and notes how certain armies, one headed by General Mickelson and another by General Tolstoy, likely a relative of the writer, will be combining forces to make attacks. The Mickelson reference is likely alluding to Count Mikhail Miloradovich, who did serve in the wars against France and the Ottoman Empire, earning quite a level of distinction. And the Tolstoy reference is possibly to Alexander Ivanich Tolstoy, who was a Russian nobleman. He actually participated in all the major battles involving Russia of the Napoleonic Wars. And around 1805, Alexander became the governor of St. Petersburg. Ten years later, he also had a diplomatic assignment to Paris. The other and more likely candidate is Pyotr Tolstoy, who was more active in the specific theater this story will head to in the next sections, and Pyotr was also a relative of the author. In his own distinguished career, Pyotr was appointed war governor of St. Petersburg in 1803 and was renowned for his generosity to those under his command. He also operated in German lands under the command of the King of Sweden, Gustav IV, and was instrumental in capturing Hanover. Now back to Nikolai's thought process, which he articulates aloud. He thinks, Prussia remains neutral, but what of Austria? And what of the southern army? And what will Sweden do? He's thinking of this conflict from all angles as the experienced general that he is. André proffered an answer. He says that the plan, to the extent he knows it, 
is to have a 90,000 strong Russian army threaten Prussia to force it to align with them, then have some of that newly increased army unite with Sweden, who's now an ally. Further, the idea is to have 220,000 Austrian soldiers, along with about 100 Russian soldiers, operate in Italy and on the Rhine, and also have 50,000 English soldiers, along with 50,000 Russians, land at Naples. Napoleon would then be facing a force of half a million men, and this coalition of allies couldn't see how Napoleon could prevail. As the elder Bolkonsky methodically continued to get himself ready, while his servant helped him along, he again thought aloud, well, Napoleon certainly has a plan of his own, which is probably as good as ours. The king of Prussia then sings himself a popular French folk song. It related to the early 18th century war of Spanish succession. It was a lament on a rumor that turned out to be false of the death of the first Duke of Marlborough, but can apply to anyone waiting for a loved one in war because God knows when any of them will return. It does have a simplicity of words and very nice melody. It became immensely popular among the population of France and those areas influenced by France. It's the basic tune that underlies what you would know as for he's a jolly good fellow. It is even rumored that Napoleon liked to hum this tune. 